I'm Amy Antonucci, welcoming you to our True Tales Live Zoom show on February 23rd, 2021. Thanks to those watching and listening, and a special thanks to those here in our live online audience. We are so happy you're here. Our mission at True Tales Live is to provide a space for people to tell their first person experience stories that reflect our community's personal and cultural diversity and help us to bridge differences, build understanding and respect for each other. We are so happy to be here with you, even on Zoom. And I want to share some suggestions for making the most of our online format. Since we believe storytelling to be an exchange between tellers and listeners, here is how you can help us keep that alive. So if you keep your video on, which we would love when you do, you can have big physical reactions in order to connect with the rest of the audience and the tellers. We're going to try that now, okay? So everyone get ready. And I want you to cheer Tina on. Now I want you to express shock that she's so brave to do this. And uh, how about we also uh, express a little sadness in case she tells us a sad story. Well done, I am thrilled, you're all awesome. All right, um, the other thing that I'm gonna offer to you all is to use a chat box. We're gonna, we save that and share it with the tellers later. So any of your um, feedback and, you know, people usually say very nice things that the tellers appreciate later. You can also put in questions and we'll run some of those by Tina at the end. So tonight's show is the first of what we expect to be a recurring show now and then called Featured Teller, in which we have just one teller with a number of stories. Tina Charpentier is kicking off this new format with Desert Tales of Stress and Boredom. Yay, Tina! And MC Pat Spaulding is gonna tell us more about that. Join me in welcoming Pat. Hi there, thanks very much. Good to be here. I'm pleased to introduce Tina Charpentier of Dover, New Hampshire, who grew up on a small family farm in Kittery, Maine. She joined the Air National Guard in 1982 and served 21 years and 21 days. Like most of us now here in 2021, Tina keeps busy during the extra time she has because of this pandemic going for walks, working on projects around the house and yard, eating and drinking a bit too much like all of us, and um, always also attending virtual trivia, Zoom visits, watching TV. She often shares stories from her military travels, but in recognition of our current COVID-related struggles, limitations, uncertainty, boredom, anxiety, and stress, Tina has chosen stories from her 1992 deployment to Saudi Arabia, where all of these emotions we're experiencing right now were taken to a whole nother level. So let me introduce Tina Charpentier to share with you her desert tales of stress and boredom. 
starting with her first story, The Stress Button. Come on over, Tina. Thanks, Pat. <clears throat> yeah, so it's 1992, and I'm in the Air Force Station at Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, for the Persian Gulf War. I was in charge of communications maintenance and job control, as well as a member of the radio maintenance shop. Our overall day-to-day -day situation was, well, boring. I, I mean, we kept busy with work mostly, but even that could be boring. We kind of had boredom down to a science, but still it was wartime and stressful for sure. We had a 24-hour operation going on there. And, uh, but before all this great technology was available and everything, we used plexiglass and whiteboards to kind of organize our schedules and keep track of lists of installs and progress and track the maintenance and repair jobs going on and supplies and stuff like that. And it all had to do with communication systems, you know, like radios, satellite, microwave and telephones. And the telephone system we had provided service for on base and off base, but we only had four lines for the whole unit to use to get off base and out into the world. They were some busy lines. Remember again, this is all before cell phones and internet and video communications. We had four lines to do all our business outside of Riyadh base. Well, one day we received word that General Nelson was gonna pay us a visit. He was a big shot in charge of the central command uh, in, of the Middle East. I mean, you might've even seen him on TV back then. He was a real big deal. And everything became about that, you know? I mean, it helped with the boredom a little, gave us something different to focus on besides work. But our job control work area was small. It was just an office because most of our work was done out, you know, where people were using the communications equipment and what have you. Um, so we, we still had to try to neaten it up though, you know, and, and keep it all clean and do all this kind of stuff. I mean, the military goes overboard usually when there's something special going on or an inspection or something special like this, you know? So we had to try and make the place clean and tidy and presentable, which wasn't easy. I mean, we're in the desert, but we tried to comply. So we moved stuff around and all that stuff because, whoa, General Nelson was coming, you know? <laughs> But our job was a bit of a pressure cooker and the heat and the dust of the Riyadh landscape took a toll on our equipment and on us too, frankly. We were always busy with something, whether it was moving something or fixing something. You know how it is if internet or cell service goes down nowadays, right? I mean, if communication doesn't work, it seems to impact everything else. And it was always seemed something needed to be fixed. We had a good group of people though. I mean, everyone worked hard and trudged on through against all the odds and through the heat, but sometimes stress really did get to people. So we had a little red origami button that was taped to the job control board. You couldn't even push it. I mean, we called it the stress button. I have no idea who made it. It was someone before our time, but it was legendary. It was just this little like half inch piece of cardboard pasted onto like a quarter inch accordion thing made of paper, origami. So it stuck right out of the board, you know, like a jack in the box. And over time, people had colored it red and even drew like lightning bolts around it on the plexiglass and what have you. And it was actually pushed quite often and even seemed to make people feel better. For example, those four phone lines I mentioned earlier, they were a big deal. 
And we allowed people to use them to make morale calls home. Because again, we didn't have any of these cool communications capabilities we have now. But we limited the personal use of those lines to only the wee hours in the morning, you know, when business was a bit quieter. And thankfully, the pace of work did slow down in the night. But it was cooler at night, so a lot of people worked. And with the time difference, there was still always something to do. But if somebody wasn't already at work, they would have to get a ride from where we lived at Escon Village, which was about a 45-minute drive to Riyadh Air Base. It's not an easy feat. There weren't very many vehicles. And at oh, dark 30, most people just really couldn't do that. But one day we had, we had this army officer come into job control at like eight o'clock in the morning, demanding to be able to use the phone to call home. And one poor sergeant was taking the brunt of his abuse when I walked in. The, office was to the officer was totally berating her. I said, excuse me, is there a problem here? This sergeant won't let me make a call, he says. Well, really? Well, we can make a call for you, sir. You know, where do you need us to call? He said, no, I need to be able to make the call. It's personal. Oh, I'm sorry. I said, we can't place morale calls during business hours, but you could come back in the morning, you know, between like two and four, and that'd be great. Of course, that just ticked him off even more because obviously the sergeant had already told him all that. Right, but with only four phone lines, we really did have to restrict its use for everyone. So he says, what's your commander's name? I said, oh, Captain Zerwinski, I can take you to his office if you want. But instead he stormed out, you know, and we never heard another thing from him. Well, the sergeant turned around and hit the stress button, right? I said, I'm gonna do that too, and I hit it. I mean, I do have to admit, though it wasn't real, it really did get some satisfaction from it, you know? So General Nelson was due in Riyadh the next day. Our place was neat and orderly for the most part. I mean, the best we could do being in a desert. But the guys wanted to know, you know, should we take down our personal stuff? You know, people had pictures up, and we had cartoons on the bulletin board and the stress button, things like that. Well, I thought about it. I mean, hmm, did you ever watch MASH? I mean, there was one episode where General MacArthur was scheduled to do an inspection and the whole episode was about that, right? Everyone was busy all the whole episode trying to prepare for it and stuff. I think Klinger was even dressed as a Statue of Liberty. And MacArthur does come to the base, but he never actually even gets out of the Jeep. He just, they drive through and he salutes and that's that. Well, I kind of figured our General Nelson visit would probably go the same way. I mean, what would he want to do with our little job control operation, you know? So I said, ah, oh, no, I keep all that. You know, our photos and cartoons and the stress button. This is our place. It'll be fine. So the next day, there's General Nelson standing in job control. Yep, and I have to give him a briefing on our operation and what we do there and all this and that. And he looked around. And he quietly checked out the bulletin board, you know, and the job board and all that. And then he points right to the stress button and says, what's this? Well, great, right? I couldn't believe it. I mean, of all things, two of the guys are giving me that corner of the eye look, you know, like, oh, no. So I explained, you know, that this is a stressful job. There's a lot of pressure, blah, blah, blah. And I gave him, we only have four phone lines, like I just told you, and Sometimes people get upset when we don't let them make morale calls and that's stressful. So we use the stress button in those types of situations. So he looked at it again and he smiled 
And he said, I like it, but you only have four lines. Tell me more about that, right? Well, by the time our tour of duty was over, we had like 16 lines, which really improved the operational capabilities as well as reduced stress when it came to calls home. So I guess thanks to the stress button, we really did resolve some stress. <laughs> Good one, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> I think the stress button definitely has a, a magical uh, quality to it that worked. So that's General Nelson, that's what he looks like, staring pretty seriously at the stress button. Yep, he's looking right at the stress button, thanks a lot. So he's got three little stars on his collar, right? Yeah, he's a big shot. That's a three-star general right there. That all they get? The little tiny stars? That's they get little tiny stars. Yeah, you don't want to, they don't want to be recognized because they're big shots, you know. Oh, okay. Well, that's good to know. Subtle but effective. Yes. <laughs> all right, are we ready for another story, Tina? Sure. All right, this one coming up is hiding in plain sight. So after work one day at Riyadh, I got myself into a sticky situation with a couple of buddies that I thought I wouldn't be able to get out of. And I couldn't say or do anything, but kind of ride it out and hope to get out of there und undiscovered, you know. See, a few days earlier, my first Sergeant Charlie comes in and says, hey, you want to go see the U.S. Uh, play the Ivory Coast in a soccer game? They're playing for the King Fod Cup, and I have three tickets. Well, there's nothing to do in Saudi Arabia, let me tell you. So even though I'm not much of a soccer fan, I was like, sure, you know, okay. But if I went anywhere off duty in Saudi Arabia, so I'm not wearing my military uniform, I had to wear an Abayan scarf, the, the local customary woman's clothing. Thankfully, I didn't have to wear the full face covering piece, but the scarf is a, a triangular piece of cloth, has beads on the end to kind of keep it from flopping around in the wind and everything. And the abaya is black polyester gown-like covering, like full gown. And it's not my first choice of clothing. I'm not much of a gown-wearing type of person. <laughs> Plus the average temperature is like 110 over there, combined with the dryness the static discharge that thing put off when I take it off could light up a room. But the guys were lucky. They only had to wear like a button up shirt with a collar and pants when they went out. But the day of the game, Charlie comes in, he says, uh, oh, by the way, uh, women aren't exactly allowed to go to soccer games here. I was like, oh, okay. And he says, no, no, still go, he says. But just like wear a loose button up shirt and pants kind of don't say anything, you know, just blend in. It'll be fine, he says. And I have no idea why I still did it. I mean, knowing the no women allowed rule, right? Kind of like the little rascals He-Man Woman Haters Club. <laughs> but see, prior to all of that, I had got my hair cut at Ascon Village where we live by the Sri Lankan barber that all the guys went to. I mean, I asked him, do you cut ladies hair? He goes, oh, yes, yes. But it turns out that's the only English he knows is yes, yes. So I still got a man's military haircut, much shorter than what I have even now. So between my haircut and I was never really visited by the boob fairy, you know, so with a loose fitting shirt, it wasn't much of a stretch. I still went along and yeah, I don't know why. 
because immediately I regretted it the minute we got out of the car. The place was crawling with armed guards with machine guns. I mean, I know we're there in the military and everything, but we're at a soccer game for Pete's sake. I couldn't say, hey, you guys, let's get out of here because I already couldn't say anything for fear of giving myself away. So off we go. Well, the other guy that came with us, we had three tickets. So Tom went along too. He was from our office and he brought the American flag from the office. Every military office has a flag, right? It's about six feet tall, has two like wooden poles that put together, you can take them apart. And it has a brass eagle on the top, you know, makes it real official like. So he's got that with him and we get to the entrance of the stadium and all of a sudden guards come from all over the place, making a big to-do about that flag which was good. I mean, so Tom's taking the brunt of the whole thing, which was fine with me, but there's a bunch of yelling and all this, and they took the flag. I mean, Tom wasn't yelling, but the Arabs, the guards were making a really big deal out of this thing. In the meantime, though, you know, over here, I got patted down for weapon search. Yeah. But fortunately, the guy checking me did it really quick because he wanted to be in on that flag thing, right? So they took my ticket and and I go, I, I'm, I'm in the stadium by myself. I couldn't see them anymore. They were still dealing with whatever that flag thing was. And so I started to think, right? I mean, what am I going to do if they don't come in? What if they don't let them in? What if I go back out and check and they're not there? I, I mean, women aren't allowed to drive. Besides, I don't even have the keys and, and I can't call anybody. We didn't have cell phones and I didn't have anybody to call. I didn't have anything and I really couldn't tell anybody anything because I couldn't say anything. And, and I got all these and a hundred other scenarios going on in my head and it felt like it was taking forever and it was probably two minutes, right? <laughs> and they come in through the door with the flag to boot. I mean, uh, the guards kept the brass eagle thing off the top. You know, later on, we talked about it uh, way later on, like I couldn't talk there, but uh, we thought maybe they kept it because maybe it could be used as a weapon on the end of the pole because, you know, it's a soccer game. Apparently, everybody's bringing weapons, right? <laughs> so we got to go to our seats. And it's a big stadium, you know, like the Patriots play in. So we got to go up and go to another door. And, of course, it's a checkpoint. And they got to check out the flag, you know, with their weapons and everything. And then we go up to another door. And then they are with their machine guns, checking the flag, thankfully. So I go by undetected, you know. <laughs> Finally, we get to through and we get to go down to our seats. And we had awesome seats. I mean, we were right, we were like 10 rows behind with the, you know, where the team sits. And like I said, I'm not much of a soccer fan. So it's like a dugout. It's a dugout area, right, for soccer. And then there was a chain link fence around that. and easily a dozen guards there staring at us like 10 rows away with their machine guns looking at us so I get to watch a whole game with this right <laughs> at a soccer game remind you <laughs> so I'm sitting between Tom and Charlie and I'm looking around at the tens of thousands of people in this stadium and I'm thinking wow I'm the only woman in here right Unless another one snuck in, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why they'd, they'd have to be crazy, you know, which, well, I know, I, I, right? What? 
but so the U.S. team scores a goal and Tom jumps up with his flag and he's waving it. He does his old flag thing because he's a real soccer fan, right? Ah, but a bunch of Arabs come and move closer. Great. And then the U.S. team gets another goal and Tom gets up there with his flag. And he does his old flag thing and now they're all filling in all the empty seats all around us, right? Great. You're like they don't, they don't really care who wins between the U.S. and the Ivory Coast. They just want to sit with the winning team. I don't believe them, right? So there they are. <laughs> and now they even want to wave the American flag. They get the flag from Tom. And it, this is a sight I'll never forget in my life. I mean, in the Athobe, and they got through the whole thing. Some Arabs over there waving the American flag. Man, if I'd had a camera. Well, yeah, so Tom. Tom is like this really unique looking guy. He's really blonde, blonde hair, like blue eyes and blonde hair, like blonde, like his eyebrows and eyelashes, a blonde kind of guy, right? I mean, he's kind of opposite of these people, you know? I mean, they have really thick, beautiful black hair and dark skin, and he's this really white guy with blonde hair. I think they were intrigued by Tom. They, they really liked talking with him. They talked they were becoming so friendly. I mean, they were really friendly to the point that they introduced themselves and everything. And then they introduced me. And of course, I'm being as rude as you can be. I, I, I'm not going to speak to them because I can't. So I'm just sitting there. And they introduced me as Martin because, well, you know, my whole name is Martina, right? So Martin well, hey, we hadn't rehearsed any of this. We didn't know what we were getting into. So it was pretty quick thinking on their part. And the closest guy to us spoke perfect English or seemed to. I mean, I don't, so it's easy for me to say, but he had this cloth bag of seeds, you know, with him. Kind of like we'd take popcorn to the movies or something. They got seeds. And I think they were sort of like sunflower seeds, maybe. And he'd take a handful from the bag and put some in his mouth and he'd kind of chew them and, and shell them with his teeth and then spit out the seeds, right? So then he offers some to all of us. And of course you gotta take some. So I take a handful of seeds from his bag and then we're all just sitting around just chewing and spitting seeds the whole rest of this, this whole rest of this game. And I was still so nervous, but I, and I couldn't say, can you believe this is happening? I mean, <laughs> But my silence was notable, you know, I mean, they could feel it. I never even looked at them. I couldn't. And finally, one of them says, hey, Martin, what state are you from? Oh, great. Right. There it is. I mean, I, I felt like I was going to throw up. I mean, I was so scared. I, I even started wicked sweating and I'm thinking, what's going to happen now? I mean, are they going to beat us? Are they going to throw us in? Well, of course, they're going to throw us in jail, but it's probably going to be worse than that. I mean, they don't mess around here. You know, I mean, they, they I don't have my abai on and I'm not supposed to be in here. And there's religious police in Saudi Arabia. Let me tell you, they are serious enforcers. They, they operate the chop chop square. They they cut off. They stone. Well, you know, I got all this and more going on in my head. Right. And it was, again, probably, I don't know, 20 seconds. And Tom says. Oh, Martin, he never says anything. He just goes along with us. He's from up in Maine. They're like that there. <laughs> well, 
they left me alone after that, thankfully. And they couldn't see my heart pounding out of my loose fitting shirt. <laughs> well, you know, there were a lot of restrictions on women over there. I mean, the obvious ones like that I couldn't drive and I had to wear the clothes and all that. I mean, it was, it's so different. It's very different. It was tough. It was hard sometimes, but the soccer thing, they actually do let them go to games now. As of 2018, I looked it up. They have their own entrance. It's all female staff and they're completely enclosed and no contact with adult males and on and on. But still, you know, progress, I guess, a little bit, right? So you can imagine probably that I wasn't exactly enjoying the game. I mean, it was very stressful. And in, in this huge stadium like that, I, I got to tell you, when that game, soon as that game was over, I practically ran all the way back up the stairs, all through all that to the vehicle. I couldn't stand it. I was so exhausted from being so much tension. Wow. But I do wish I was a better fan, though, because I, apparently this U.S. team was a really big deal in the soccer world. So they, they even invited us to a private dinner they had the next night at the hotel they were staying at. The three of us got to go. And yes, I wore my Abayan scarf <laughs> to get to the hotel. But once we were inside their private dining room, I could take it off and be a normal person. Not that Arab women aren't normal people. But I'm not a normal person in a gown, you know, and they were really awesome guys. I wish I'd have been a better fan. They gave me a team photo. Each one of them autographed it for me. They really appreciated the fact that I risked my life hiding in plain sight to see their game. <laughs> that was great, Tina. <laughs> uh, I'm nervous just uh, for you. Um, Listening to, to that story, that got my heart all palpitating yeah. too. Um, I love it that you still have the soccer ticket as a memento from all those years ago. Yep, yep, I kept the soccer ticket. I'm sorry, I don't have the photo of the team, but I do have the ticket. I had put that in a scrap album. Um, yeah. That's the official ticket, U.S. Oh. and Ivory Coast. It makes it look real. Um, <laughs> oh, and there's the Abaya, is that what you call that? That's an Abaya, yep. I can't see my head in that photo, or I can't anyways, but that's the Abaya, that um, full-length gown, black polyester. Pat thought it'd be a good idea if I showed you guys my scarf. I still have my Abaya scarf. It was yeah. government-issued. Government it is two parts, the scarf, and, and there's like the beads, you know, that's on the end. See, there's three beads, and you put it on, and... Um, it's lovely, isn't it? Yeah, let's. And, and these keep it from flapping around in the wind. It definitely changes your image. Yeah, yeah. And then you put that whole thing on. It's hot, 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 hot. Yeah. I can, I can feel it. <laughs> <laughs> but Whoa. that's what they do, and that's what I had to do. But I didn't that day. See, did you hear the static? I don't know if you guys can hear that. I can imagine it, but I didn't hear it. Yeah, my hair standing right up. Well, it looks a little bit more normal back to the Tina that we know and recognize. So now that the real Tina is back with us, how about another story? Mm. This one is titled, Better Than Doing Nothing. <laughs> so we did a lot of work all the time, thankfully. It was stressful, but it did keep us busy and out of trouble most of the time. 
like I said, even though we didn't have much off-duty time, thankfully, when we did, it was a drag. I mean, boredom really was an issue. It was a concern even. And everybody just wanted to go home. One day I was with my buddies, Doug and Chauncey, both great guys, very different from one another. Chauncey was like a hard work and ambitious guy. And Doug was, he was, well, more your Eeyore type guy. You know, this one day we found a sheet of plywood just leaning against a dumpster right there in Eskimo Village where we lived. Let's get it, I said. What for, Doug says, because, you know, he kind of liked being sedentary and bored. I said, I don't know what for. I mean, we can figure that out later, you know. So Chauncey, like me, always wanted to do something. So under the dark of night, we snuck it up to the roof of the guy's flat where we spent most of our off-duty hours. But what were we going to do with it? That's the question. So we decided to have a suggestion contest, you know, as part of the fun, such as it were. <laughs> uh, filling our time was quite a challenge, and we had to be creative. So we, overall, though, you know what? We were really fortunate to at least have a decent place to live at Escon Village. It was built for the Bedouin people, but by the pure nature of being Bedouins, right? They're nomads. They never actually settled there. So we were able to use those buildings and not have to stay in a tent city. It's great. But still, there wasn't anything to do. Might so be working. I mean, there were no movies or anything or anywhere to go. Although one time we had a road trip to King Cloud Military City, which was like this boring six-hour drive north through pretty much flat, boring desert lands. So we came up like with our own road bingo game, you know, to pass the time. I mean, we made squares of things we might see, like an oil refinery, you know, a pump, an Arab, uh, an abaya, or a camel, or an abandoned old wrecked truck or something, you know, just stuff, common things. But at Escon Village, we they did have a gym setup thing there, but uh, mostly it just had weights, and mostly army guys hung out there, and they're kind of like... Uh, pick things up, I put them down kind of guys, you know what I mean? <laughs> More power to them and everything, but it's not my bag. We had a village pub, you know, but it was a hangout place, kind of central of Eskon Village, but there was no alcohol allowed in Saudi Arabia, so we, we didn't really go there. It was probably a good thing there was no alcohol, looking back at it, but there was a volleyball net. It was almost in constant use, and it was wicked competitive. Too serious, really, to be fun. It wasn't much fun. The pub did have a dartboard, too, but it had been so overused, you really couldn't get a dart in it again, with, even if you used a hammer, really. There was a TV system. We had an Air Force radio television service, and some people watched it, but it was censored by the Arabs and mostly just old limited broadcasts anyways. It's just another type of boring, if you ask me. So a week went by. And the three of us voted on our suggestions, you know. So we decided that we were going to make a sign with the plywood for our radio shop. But now we needed to decide what the sign should look like. So another contest with a drawing this time. And my drawing one, it was, uh, it's a camel uh, wearing combat boots, you know, and he's got a backpack radio on and a little American flag flying from the antenna. We titled it uh, Saudi Radio. So then we had to get paint supplies. 
right? Which requires a trip to the Souk, which is the big shopping market thing downtown Riyadh. I was always nervous going downtown, not on duty because I had to wear the abaya gown covering thing and the headscarf. And, and again, polyester dryness. I mean, Riyadh's one of the most arid places in the world. Uh, you don't even usually sweat there we evaporate and that was a big deal. Dehydration is a big concern over there. Plus it's hot, hot, hot. I mean, wearing that a bio is just totally uncomfortable. And I'd always walk behind the guys and not talk to them because that's what women do there. I mean, I didn't know if I had to do that, but well, I did it anyways to play it safe. I mean, the religious police were always patrolling everywhere. Oh, and another thing, women aren't allowed into all the stores. I, we think they had signs posted outside, but we can't read Arabic, so we didn't know which ones I could go into, and it's quite frustrating to say, say the least, and a little bit scary. Uh, so we didn't go downtown very often. I mean, we went to a grocery store once. I always like to do that when I go to another country. And you learn a lot about people in their grocery stores. But in this case, we stayed in the car in the parking lot, kind of staked it out for a while, you know, see if any women went in. And no women did. But did that really mean they weren't allowed or just that no women came along while we were staking it out? So finally, I said, oh, come on, let's just go in. And I put on my abaya and went in. And I was on guard, very nervous the whole time, but nobody threw me out. So it's a really awesome store. And it was kind of like a Walmart, maybe. It had more than just groceries. It had log furniture and games and stuff. I actually bought a Monopoly game there. And it's, it's in Arabic, but it's funny. The money's in British pounds, not Saudi reals. But, and I still have that. Uh, we stopped at a mall once, too, because I did want a souvenir of this place. I mean, give me a break. But it's not exactly a tourist destination. So where would you get something? So there was this little store in the mall. Had all kinds of stuff in it, you know, it was like packed and had little skinny aisles. So I thought, you know, maybe they have something in there I could get as a souvenir. So we went in and my buddies went down the first aisle. They were like skinny little aisles, like single file. I went in the next aisle and I was looking at stuff, you know, and everything. And I picked up this little container, looked like uh, it was candy. And I opened it and suddenly this thing came flying out of there. And I screamed, it squealed, I jumped back and there wasn't room to do that. So I knocked a bunch of stuff off the shelves behind me. My scarf went down over my face. It was kind of a nightmare. And Doug and Chauncey ran around like, what, see what's going on here. And it was one of those spring snake joke things that comes out, right? Great. So I pushed that all back down in the container and we're picking up the mess I made. We're talking and laughing. We're not supposed to be doing it. And the, even the Arab clerk, right? He's laughing. Oh, my God. I bought the snake. I still have that, too. And we had to get the heck out of there. I mean, I don't know. So I ran, we ran across the street to get back to the vehicle. And I nearly did a face plant on the sidewalk because, again, I don't wear a gown. I forgot you're supposed to, like, you know, pick it up a little bit before you step up. So I stepped on it and just, look, I told the guys, you go shopping for the paint. Okay, I, I really don't need to do that, but they were like, no, it's a group project, you know, so next time we had time, we, we went to town. So the guys went into the first door first, and I went in behind them, and the Arab guy sees them, 
He comes over to greet them and then he sees me and he goes to the door and he holds it. He does a bunch of yelling in Arabic and everything to the guys because they only speak to the guys and for, for me to leave. So we all left. I mean, you know, and this happened two more times. I finally told the guys, this is, you know what? This is my last try. I mean, this is ridiculous. It's frustrating. It's quite scary. It's humiliating and it's making me angry. I mean, maybe paint's a guy thing here. I don't know. But then the last door we went into, the guy welcomed us in. He made us tea. He helped us pick out our paints and brushes and all this stuff. And he gave us his business card. He even gave us a little free calendar thing that was one page a day kind of calendar. It had it's all in Arabic, but and on the back side, I guess it's a saying from the religious book, you know, the Quran and back. It was really pretty cool. I, I still have that too. So finally, when we had time back at Doug and Chauncey's flat, we were excited, right, to move on with our project. So we actually brought the plywood down from the roof, though, because it was just too hot up there to paint. And we all took turns painting the whole background, you know, and then, then we had to wait before we could transfer the drawing onto the board. And the guy's roommates came in and saw us all sitting there around the plywood. Said, what are you doing? Well, we all looked at each other, right? <laughs> I said, well, I guess it has come to this. We're watching paint dry. <laughs> oh yeah. It couldn't have had a better line to end on. <laughs> So um, you did a lot of alternative activities uh, because of your boredom. Is that Doug and Chauncey there? That's Doug and Chauncey. Again, I don't see their heads, but I don't know if Amy can fix that. But I can so see Doug that. on the left and Chauncey on the right. They're, they were the best. They were the best buddies to be stationed with somewhere. Yeah. And um, oh, that's the car bingo card, right? This is our bingo cards. Yeah, this is, uh, we played that going up uh, to KKMC. That, that was fun. You know, I mean, somebody even substituted down here at the bottom. It was a dead camel was the square, but somebody saw three dead goats and they said, well, three dead goats could equal a dead camel. So they used it. Well, yeah, you, you know, alter the rules when you're just working with uh, boredom. And um, Doug and Chauncey, are you still in touch with them? Um, not really. I, I did find Chauncey and we had conversations and stuff, you know, that's how the military is. We lose track of each other. Mm -hmm. Neither one of us have been able to find Doug. Mm -hmm. I would love to get together with them someday. I mean, we're going on 30 years ago at this point, right? So yeah, you need a reunion. Yeah. Yeah. Where we can drink beer. Yeah. Know? Unlike this place where I guess you couldn't. Yeah, this is the pub. They, they did have near beer there, but you know, uh, it's only near beer. And there's the volleyball net off to the side. So that's the uh, the pub, the village pub. Um, didn't spend a lot of time there, let me tell you. Yeah. Oh, the Monopoly game. That was one it's way to the Monopoly game, yeah. And, and it is made in England for the Arabs, I guess, you know. So that must be why it's in uh, pounds. That's my snake. Oh, another souvenir. That's yeah. my souvenir. Definitely a keeper. <laughs> Yeah. That's what? the guy's business card that uh, yeah. nice boy. You you do keep track of your souvenirs, Tina. Well, these little things, I had them all in a photo album at one time. This thing I don't though. That's the calendar. I really couldn't tell you what all that 
that means. You don't have April 14th anymore. No, I don't. I sent that off to you, that one page. Yeah. So now it's my souvenir. Yeah. Yeah. And there's the, the back. Uh, it's some kind of a great saying, I guess, from the Quran, right? That's oh. the finished sign. That's my camel with his combat boots on. and That's terrific. Yeah. Did anybody get to take that back as a souvenir? No, we didn't. Uh, that's pretty big, right? It's a sheet of plywood. But I did have uh, as a souvenir... I had these made. I don't know if you guys can see that, but this is a patch. I had patches made for the guys as, as a thank you to being such good buddies. Um, the, the guys, there was a man at the Escon village that didn't speak English, but he used to make our patches for our um, uniforms. You know, he'd make our name tags and, and what have you. So I had asked him to sew three of those. He did an awesome job. Oh yeah. That's like the best souvenirs ever. Yeah, that was a good one. Well, I think it's time to move on to our final story. And this one is titled, The Egg. Okay, well, it's still 1992, and I was riding with uh, Doug and Chauncey to Al Kars when we saw some camels off in the desert, you know? So we pulled over to check them out and see if they were friendly. So uh, I walked slowly towards them, but they kept their distance. It's okay. That's where I found the egg. Uh, it was this brown. It was about the size of a ping pong ball. We decided to keep it and see what might hatch, you know. Do you ever do that? Keep a cocoon or something? I've always done that. I'm especially amazed with insect things. Growing up on the farm, we learned enough about bugs over the years. They basically got me through school. I mean, I wrote term page papers. I did speeches on them, science projects, you name it. But even to this day, I'm kind of partial to the Monarch butterfly, you know, I mean, it looks like a madman mows our lawn out there because we go around the milkweed and everything, but sometimes I even collect the caterpillars and take them in the house and give them a chance. And man, I'm totally humbled when one of those beauties hatches and I can release it off my finger. Wow, they're amazing. But don't think for a minute I like all bugs though. I mean, give me a break. There's mosquitoes and black flies and ticks. When I get a tick on me, I get what I call it tick willies for days. I get like, what is that right there? Oh, oh, and it's probably just a hair or something, you know. But then there are lightning bugs too, right? They're just so amazing. The diversity is great. You could write papers all day if you need to. Well, we routinely went to the Alcars to work, and it's an hour and a half drive to get there. And it took us along the portion of the escarpment, which is like a thousand foot high cliff that spans hundreds of miles of Saudi Arabia. So, but on our ride, there was this one little lone tree way up at the top, you know, and we had a lot of conversations about that tree. You know, we wondered if there were more up there. Was it greener up there? Was it different up there? Yeah, like I said, boredom. Yeah, we talked about the tree often. And that's another story, by the way. But the geography, See, millions of years ago, this whole area was underwater and the tectonic plates had tilted and the seawater poured off. And now the whole place is just this dry and hard, barren, rugged place. Riyadh is almost in the center of the country and it's more than a four hour drive in any direction to any salt water. Yet we had fossilized shells and coral and shark's teeth and stuff like that kicking around even in a parking lot. I mean, it was awesome. Ancient volcanic evidence is everywhere too. Like large black lava fields sprawl out there. They look like old abandoned parking lots that had dust blown over them, you know? I have to say the geography was very interesting. 
I don't recommend going to see it though, because like I said, it's not exactly a tourist destination. And in 1992, it was a war zone and not very welcoming. In fact, it was unwelcoming to women, but we went on to El Cars that day and we were supposed to move an antenna from a building where they no longer needed it to a tent where they needed one. And the antenna mast was pretty tall. It was made up of four foot metal tubes, you know, sort of like a table umbrella might use. But on a cement roof, there was really no way to anchor that thing. So it had been put in an old ammo box filled with sand with sandbags all around it, kind of hold it there. And it had four support wires that were also anchored down with sandbags. Well, my buddies, Doug and Chauncey, like I said, Chauncey, he was just smart, brave, daring guy. And Doug, well, Doug was smart too and funny, but he was just waiting for his enlistment to be over. I mean, he'd had it with the military. First of all, I mean, he was not an outdoorsy type. He didn't like bugs or creepy crawly things and he didn't like heights and we're radio maintenance techs. I mean, we run into pretty much all of this at our job. I mean, I can understand his squeamishness a little bit, though. I mean, they have spiders over there, big as your hand, you know, creepy things. Security team caught one of those once and kept it. They called him Fred. It was really creepy. So anyways, I moved one of the sandbags, you know, and, and some lizards ran out uh, and over to the pile near the mast. When I moved another one, some lizards ran out over to the pile that Doug was working on. So I said, hey, Doug, look out, there's some lizards in that pile. And, and he had just stood up, right? And he had a sandbag in each hand. He says, what? And like, there was a lizard right here on his sandbag. And I said, there's a lizard right there. And he had just seen it and he was just eye to eye with it. It was like an ET moment, you know? I mean, he screamed, I swear the lizard screamed. He threw the whole thing, the lizards flying, the sandbags are flying. <laughs> it only happens to Doug, I swear, poor guy. <sighs> Well, so then we had to install this thing into a tent, you know, that had been there quite a while and it had sandbags holding the flaps of the tent down. And we had to put an antenna wire up under there. Now we flipped a coin for who's gonna do that because that's just creepy crawl of heaven, you know what I mean? But Chauncey ended up doing it and it, it turned out to be easy. I mean, there was nothing there, of course, cause he'd have been all brave about it, right? But after we finished our work and returned to Ascon Village, uh, we went up to the roof of the guy's flat and that really was our hangout when we had hours, you know. We had a little cabana set up there, kind of. We had camouflage netting set up for shade and some spare announcement speakers like you might see on a MASH episode, right? And we hooked those up to an old stereo someone had abandoned and we strung some Christmas lights around and all things considered, it was not a bad hangout spot because boredom really was a challenge. Even though work was tough, you know, uh, we stayed busy and everything, but when we weren't working, there wasn't anything to do. But now we had the egg and we put our egg in a jar and we poked holes in the top of it. And I did that when I was a kid too, but one morning there were hundreds of tiny little praying mantises in the house. My mother wasn't pleased they'd fit up through the holes I poked. So with the new project here, I wasn't taking any chances. We're gonna keep the egg in the jar with the holes in the cover on the roof. Right, because I mean, it could be similar. It could be an insect cocoon, or it could be a spider's egg, or a lizard, or a snake, or a bird, for that matter. I don't know. It was 1992, all pre-internet. I mean, we couldn't look it up. And as a woman, I couldn't go into the library and 
the guys wouldn't go for me. And they were like, oh, it's all written in Arabic anyway, probably, you know. So, well, we couldn't look it up. We didn't. But we did check on it every day. It didn't grow or change or move or anything, but it was something to do and to talk about. Boredom, right? But they did have a wreck trip once in a while, uh, like every other Friday or something that you could sign up for in advance and go to the zoo. They only took 30 participants randomly from this list. And the zoo was kind of new then. A British guy named Richard Bush of like the Bush Gardens people was the developer. And in Saudi Arabia, Thursday and Friday are the weekends. And Friday, kind of like our Sunday, is a little more of a religious day for them. And everything's closed, including the zoo. So that's when he'd have the wreck trip visit. Well, I won the lottery once I got to go to the zoo, right? But remember, when I went anywhere, I had to wear that Abayan scarf. And this trip was no exception. But once we were inside the gate of the zoo, Richard said, it's just us in here. You can take that off for the day. It's a treat that seems silly now, but it was quite special at the time. But so was that tour. He gave us a personal tour. It was amazing. He did cool stuff for us all along the way. For example, he demonstrated a rattlesnake strike. I mean, he had a worker lower a balloon, inflated balloon down into a rattlesnake cage. And suddenly that balloon pops. I mean, you never saw the snake move. One of the guys on that trip had one of those old video cameras, you know, that has a full-size VHS tape in it, right? He played that recording back in slow motion, and you still didn't see that snake move. It was amazing, fantastic. The whole thing was fantastic. And at some point while we are in the zoo, I thought, darn it, I should have brought the egg with me. I mean, these people might know what it is, but, you know, I didn't, so... Anyways, uh, back at work, you know, time dragged on and everything kept going. And finally, we were getting closer to the end of our tour of duty there, thankfully. And if we were lucky, we'd get home for Christmas. Well, the daily egg monitoring continued too, you know, but nothing was still happening. And people were getting ready to leave and everything. So curiosity was getting to us. We decided to break it to see what was inside. I mean, I don't like killing anything. I mean, I still take a spider outside and let it go, but curiosity was getting to us. And so with Doug and Chauncey watching and a few of the other guys looking on, you know, I carefully took it out of the jar because it was kind of my egg. And I put it down on the roof and feeling pretty bad about it. I gently stepped on it to crush it, but nothing happened. It didn't budge. It didn't crack. It didn't anything. So I stepped harder. And it still didn't do anything. So finally, I gave it a blow with my heel, and it broke. So I picked it up, right? And we all gathered around and looked at it. And we looked at each other, and we looked at the egg, and it had grass in it. I mean, it turns out it was a piece of camel poop that had been perfectly rounded from rolling around the desert like sea glass, right? <laughs> Thankfully, I didn't take that to the zoo. <laughs> Yeah, that would have been kind of embarrassing with Richard. <laughs> he probably would have got a kick out of it, though. We sure did. <laughs> Great story, Tina. Oh, so here's my pictures. That's the escarpment or a picture of part of the escarpment on the way to the El Karj. And that's the tree. Yeah, we probably ought to yeah like quick. I said, that, that could be another, that's another story, is the tree. Oh. Okay, so this is where I found oh. the egg. 
right? This is, uh, there's a camel off to the left and there's a picture of me on the right hand side here collecting the egg <laughs> from there. So that looks like real desert to me. That's real desert. Yeah. There's a camel oh. with a stop sign in the middle of the desert. I don't know why, you know. A real camel. So that's Doug in, uh, on the left and me and Chauncey at El Karsh. Yeah. Nice shot. You guys look like good buddies. That's Richard. Oh. I can't see his face. I don't know if everybody else is having that trouble, but it's pushed off to the top. Well, this is Richard. Yeah, this is Richard. Looks like a nice guy. And then that's uh, that's the three of us still at El Karsh. There's not much there. Oh, and it's time to say goodbye to them. And now I guess it's time to leave the hot, dry desert of Saudi Arabia to return to a colder, wetter climate that's local where we face the challenges, struggles, stresses, and boredom of our own lives right here at home. So thanks, Tina, for your great stories. I'm gonna give it over to Amy now who will field a few questions. We don't have much time though. Yeah. Um, that listeners may have, have uh, put into the chat. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we're moving towards the end. So, so you know, though, there's going to be a, a longer interview, 15-minute interview with Tina after we, we wrap up the top of the hour stuff. Um, but I'm just going to slip a few of these. There's just a couple questions, Tina, quick ones that um, I will offer you. First of all, Penny wants to know what your rank was. Oh, I was a master sergeant there, E7. All right. Um, I think Anne is asking what the heck is near beer? Near beer. <laughs> uh, it's kind of like, it's non-alcoholic beer. So to me, it's water that tastes like, it doesn't even taste like beer. I don't know. Just, it's a substitute. And then Pat, not, not Pat Spaulding, a different Pat, was wondering if women are still banned from soccer games. And I didn't know if you wanted to say, because I know the two of us just recently watched a, a film about some of the changes there. I don't know if you wanted to to say a couple words on that and what has changed. Yeah, well, women can go to soccer games. Uh, women can drive cars even now. There's uh, um that was a big deal, a really big deal. It's just kind of still happening, you know. Um, if you look into that, you could Google that. It's really great. There's a YouTube um, movie about it, even a Saudi driving school for women. It's awesome. But and it's interesting because there's a woman driving an Uber there, and if she picks up a man, they have a conversation. It's very interesting. What was the name of it? Saudi Women's Driving School? Was that Something the name? like that. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's free on YouTube. We highly recommend it. All right, so I'm going to close out this part um, and we'll move into the, um, the, the more formal interview. Thank you all so much for being with us tonight. Special thanks to Tina Charpentier. Yay! and to this wonderful audience that came to support and listen to her. Um, again, we're gonna soon move to the backstory interview with David Frainer speaking further with Tina. Um, but first, let me tell you, our next True Tales Live Zoom show, Tuesday, March 30th, 7 p.m. 
Um, go to truetaleslivenh.org to find the links to register for that and all of our shows. It's free, but just it's a process. We need tellers for many of our upcoming shows. We especially encourage these days coming to our monthly workshop first on Zoom, 7 to 8.30 p.m., the next one being March 2, um, so that you can not just get feedback on your story, but practice telling on the Zoom platform. You can contact us, info at truetaleslivenh.org, uh, or again, see truetaleslivenh.org. Let's thank some of those who make this show possible. John Lovern, Pat Spalding, David Frainer, Sarah Bedingfield, Sam Adams, Sam Adams, and Kamisha Foley. I'm Amy Antonucci. And before we move to the backstory 15 minute interview, we have the really fun new tradition um, of um, our little one minute dance party, okay? We have been having a great time with this and we really hope you will join us. It's just a one minute, you know, party here. And if you have your video on and at least move a little, like even if all you wanna do is like, mm -mm, we appreciate that. And you might wanna switch to gallery view and stand up, move your furniture. Last time people moved their furniture, we saw that. And just join us and again, after, after this, stay tuned for the interview. But John, you're on. Thank you. 